Hi, Odumpert. Greetings and salutations. Yeah. Dr. Dennis. Dr. Dennis is back. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to basically jump right into this. Uh, we have a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Tamara Morris. She's a periodontist, um, board-certified periodontist in the Houston area. Uh, I wanted to bring her on. She's been on before, actually, with another episode. I, I'm too lazy to go find the exact episode number, uh, but you can look for it yourself. Uh, <laughs> but we wanted to bring her on to talk about technology in, uh, in in the perio field and actually in dentistry with lasers and uh, CBCT uh, scans and so forth. So we're just going to just jump right in and uh, welcome Dr. Morris. What's going on? Oh, nothing. You know, just um, I guess quarantine time is wrapping up. And so just trying to get myself ready to go back a to part work. Of, a part of me doesn't even <laughs> want to go back to work, to be honest with you. Yeah, I've gotten comfortable now. You know, if, if Kyle, yeah. if, if Dr. Dumper could just pay our, our you know, living wages, well, I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I, I you guys will be back to work a lot faster than us in Pennsylvania will be. <laughs> right, right, right. But, uh, you know, Dr. Morris, you want to just introduce yourself again to the audience and then we'll get started. Um, so I'm Tamara Morris. I'm a periodontist in the Houston area. Um, I have been a dentist for, I guess it's 14 years now. And finished Perio in 2014. Um, I love it. I love like traditional Perio, osseous pocket reduction. You know, I really enjoy those things. Um, I practice in private office, private practice. I'm primarily in the Galleria area. Um, and I incorporated laser into my practice about two years ago and it completely changed my practice like 100 fold so um i'm really really like proud to be a lanapper and proud and you know really excited to share you know laser what laser periodontal therapy is all about do you guys call yourself lanappers or is that something that you came up with <laughs> it's a thing it is okay. is that a facebook group are you a lanapper? I I am not. No, and I mean, hey, I'm not a purist. It's America, you know. You can do whatever you want, right? Right. But I do think that every periodontist should incorporate uh, lanap okay. into their practice. Okay. Well, so I'll can you ex explain to us what lanap is? So, uh, I kind of feel like osseous surgery, which is pocket reduction. So when you go to the dentist and the dental hygienist or the dentist, um, probes the area or takes those measurements, you hear those numbers. Three, two, three, three, two, three. Well, sometimes we hear numbers that are five, six, seven, thirteen. Okay. And that's the depth of the pocket. And so beyond a certain depth, you can or the patient can't keep the area clean. The hygienist can't keep the pocket clean. And so it needs to be smaller. So that's what the osseous surgery does, okay? Um, or the pocket reduction surgery does. It makes the pockets uh, smaller or not as deep, okay? So we can keep everything clean and keep your teeth healthy, all right? Keep that support there. Um, so there's a traditional method where we use, you know, a blade and we... Um, remove, you know, make an incision, lay the gums back, um, clean, because now we can see the tartar, see the plaque, see the defects in the bone, clean using our instruments, okay? Then we place the gum tissue back where it was and place a dissolvable or a stitch that doesn't dissolve. Two weeks later, you'll come back, we'll remove the stitches, and your teeth will be a little longer, but hopefully those pockets will heal and be those good numbers, 232 two again. The thing, laser, on the other hand, there's no cutting. There's no sutures, okay? There is no um, fear in regards to the cutting and the stitches, right? Because both of those things cause fear. Um, at, at the same time, we're able to get the same results, sometimes a little better, than the traditional surgery of cutting, reflecting the gums, 
all that scary stuff that comes along with it. Okay. Um, so we use a laser and we do this very intense, it's not intense, but I'm very persnickety about it, but it is a specific protocol that is attached. Okay. With being a napper and, um, <laughs> some very, very, you know, particular instructions for afterwards, um, to help get the best result. There you go. With uh, this uh, Lynette system, does it yes. um, is the healing time faster? I, I would assume it would be. Is that correct? Yes. So the healing time is faster. Um, what happens is in the process of using the laser, there's a, a step where we come back with the laser and we put it on a different mode that causes the blood to clot and thicken. Okay. And we all know that has the healing properties and it also acts like a glue. Okay. And so when we do that step, um, that helps the healing process faster because now we have the body's own natural healing mechanism, you know, there to help reattach that gum tissue to the tooth area. And so in histologic um, studies that have been done, there's actually been new attachment that is found at the microscopic level, um, after that procedure. Nice. And so healing time is faster, um, less tooth sensitivity because with the traditional procedure, you know, you cut the gums off. Uh, that's a part of it. And that exposes more of the tooth structure or the root structure, which causes more sensitivity. So, okay. Um, hold on. Yes. Okay. So, so I'm a patient. Um, <laughs> My my general dentist just told me yes. I have periodontal disease. Mm -hmm. yes. So I, I get on Google and I, I find uh, periodontist Dr. Aka and Dr. Tamara. Yes. Okay. Uh, Dr. Tamara, I see, does this Lanat procedure. Right. Dr. Aka does um, scalpel surgery. Yes. Uh, uh, we just heard uh, kind of the benefits of Lanat, so... Uh, Dr. Aka, why, as a patient, why would I come to your office? Ooh, that's a great one. This, I like this one. This is fun. <laughs> so, I'm so glad. All right. So, so one thing that I always tell everybody, right? You're right. Dr. Morris was completely correct. You're going to have more sensitivity, right? When it comes to the whole healing, that's where it kind of differs, right? So you're expecting a patient to adhere to your strict standards for how long? Two months, three months, four months, Dr. Morris? Um, well, actually, basically the most stressful part of the healing process is that they have to be on a liquid diet for three days. I'm talking about the and actual, don't touch that area. Don't mess with that area. How long, how long? Um, really my only issue is like the, the diet. And then for 13 days after that, you have to eat food. You can mush with a fork Right. and you, I don't want people to floss okay, how for long? about Six months, which they're Six cool months. with. Okay. Six um, months? What about brushing in that area? Uh, no brushing for two weeks. You have to keep the area clean using mouth rinse and a cotton swab. And then after that? What and then after they that, do? they can they go can brush, brush normally? Mm-hmm. Okay. So yes. that's actually very different than what I was told by the rep, right? So they said that, and, and other uh, periodontists who use the same procedure... They talked about you are not allowed to go in there or do anything in that area for up to two months, right? It's a lot more what, strict. What do you mean do anything? Meaning do like, you know, you can't because they put you on the rinse for two weeks, like you said, right? But you're, yeah. not, you're not allowed to eat anything solid or do anything uh, that's going to detach that, that tissue away from the, the teeth, right? Like you said. That's the only there's the, the eating is that's only for two weeks. After the that, you can go back to steaks and stuff like that. Now you cannot probe for six months. Right. What about okay. what about? Let's go back to the diet. You said for for you can eat mushy stuff after two weeks, right? What can you eat after that? After two weeks, you can go back to your regular diet. But you have a very different protocol than everybody else has ever done this procedure. And the reason why I say that is because one, you spoke to everybody else that does this procedure. Yes. <laughs> See, that's the whole reason. So, no, 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 I'm, I'm dead serious. You spoke to so, everybody. No, else. I am. I'm telling you right now, you have a very unique. I am a and I'm, I'm trying to. I've been to. Listen, <laughs> the one thing that the one thing that I've learned about Lanappers. Now I didn't even know that was a word, but the one thing I've learned about the people that use these lasers is everybody seems to have a different protocol, right? The people that have I've talked to, 
okay, the multiple people I've talked to, they were like, no, the patient cannot do anything in that area besides gently brush with a uh, a really soft toothbrush in that area. No flossing for no up to flossing. six months. And that's where, that was the only time I actually agree with you was when you mm-hmm. said up to six months. But they are also put on a very strict diet, that soft diet, for an extended period of time. Past that's the two weeks. True. Well, I'm just telling you what I, I'm telling you what other people do. Don't get it. You're getting it mixed up with all on four. Now well, <laughs> that's a totally different. Then, so, so, so what? When you're on a liquid diet for six months, right? That has nothing not to do with that. this, though, right? And 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 let's talk. Okay, so let's pretend that we science. Let's do science, okay? <laughs> let's let's go ahead and break it down to science. How long does attachment to the gum, uh, to, from soft tissue to the teeth? Long junctional epithelial attachment. How how long is it? Forty two days is the minimum. So two weeks is shorter than forty two days, and that's what I'm getting at. It's like everybody has different protocols. I personally think that Lanap is a good process because I've sent the patients to you, right? But I don't think you should make it seem like it's the best thing, and that's the only thing, and and that's everybody deserves to get the Lanap or. It's not. It's not. And that's what I'm saying. I think a lot of people who use lasers look at it as, hey, I have to switch to this because there's a lot of other factors that go into this. And that includes the price of that laser. And we've talked about yeah, this, a, right? There's definitely a price. Okay, right. so this is the thing. Okay. Um, when it comes to the protocol right. and the eating portion okay, and what I've told my patients over the past two years, right. which is, you know, Restrict your diet for those two weeks, no flossing, and then using a soft toothbrush after the two-week healing period. Mm-hmm. And uh, me or the dental hygienist not probing in the area because that's really how you destroy that that new attachment. Not right. just long junctional epithelium that you're getting with osteosurgery. Right. Yeah. Okay? Because that's what you're getting. You're not getting any new attachment. And um, for the layman, you know, or the, you know, the general public out there, you know, this is this is my tooth, mm-hmm. and I just lay the tissue back on it. Right. Then right. there's a chance it could peel again, right? Right. I agree. With you. But agree. when we have that, this is the tooth, and that those fibers come in like this. That's a lot harder to break that bond. When okay. They, when they come in so, perpendicular. That's right. 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 Yeah. So they when can't they see perpendicular, you, it's harder for those forces to break the bond and make the pocket deep again okay Okay. so that's just a simple way you know to explain the two types of attachment that we're getting why it's so important depending upon which you know which method okay Okay. um there's some cases where laser isn't the best option you know there's some cases where we've tried laser and there still is a deep pocket because there's there's just a defect there and it just needs to be opened the traditional way okay so i'm not saying that um you know uh, uh, there's no place for osseous in perio. Okay. There's no, there's no place for opening up the area right. in perio. Of course there is. Of course there's not a hundred percent of anything. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, um, I do think that, you know, using laser gum therapy, uh, to treat the osseous first. And if there are areas and we do have to go back surgically, we don't have to open up a whole quadrant. Or, you know, seven teeth. Instead, we may just have to do one isolated area to get the, you know, the optimal result. Right. So I think before y'all go into any more depth into the <laughs> Lynette protocols. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I think, Jesse, for the viewers, or I'm sorry, the listeners, <clears throat> they need to know that, that perio, the procedures for perio take a long time. You mentioned 42 days. Right. She mentioned two weeks. Then you all mentioned six months. Right. Like, I think everyone, all the uh, listeners need to keep that in mind that when you're going in for any type of periodontal surgery or extensive procedure, it's a long healing process. You know, uh, and, and I will say that, like, despite whatever differences we, we have in our protocols, one thing that people have to understand is, is what the whole Lanap process is all about, right? What do you actually do when a patient is sitting in your chair? So I think that's where we need to start with. Basically, what do you do? So for example, you know, Dr. Dumper asked me, okay, so when a patient comes to me, I'm using the blade. 
open the gums, moving the tissue and the gums, everything away from the teeth, cleaning the root surface, right? Once I do that, if there's any bony defects, like I always like to say any potholes in the bone, I like to fill the potholes and then I put the gums back, like you said, with stitches, right? That's the, that's the traditional osseous surgery. What is the LANAP procedure look like? Okay, so let's first imagine, you know, it's not, sometimes when people hear laser, they think of, you know, Star Wars and like saber, like lighting up and this this big thing. And it isn't like that, okay? Um, imagine a mechanical pencil, okay? And you know how you hit the eraser part of the mechanical pencil and the lead comes out the end. Um, that is how the uh, the fiber for the laser kind of looks, okay? And so we take that, it's, it's actually much thinner than that, but that's the closest, you know, you know, example. And what I do is I take that small, thin fiber, and just how we do when you're getting your teeth kind of probed, doing the numbers, mm-hmm. we do a, a sweeping motion, just like as if we're taking those measurements. And the laser, um, we put it at certain settings, depending upon which phase or step we're in. So for that first step, we put on the first setting and we do a sweeping motion along um, underneath the gums, along the surface of the tooth, right in the pocket. And so uh, that laser beam doesn't just stop where the pocket ends, okay, or where we film that first amount of resistance. That laser actually continues working for eight millimeters beyond the end of the beam. And that laser beam is attracted to dark colored or what we call pigmented bacteria. And it's zapping that bacteria and killing that bacteria as it's doing this sweeping motion through the pocket. And it's also kind of reacting to the calculus as well. And what it does is it kind of weakens the calculus so it makes it much easier for removal for the following steps. Okay. Um, so we're doing that sweeping motion. So this isn't a fast procedure. It's not like zoom, zoom, zoom. (laughs) No. Okay. Because the body has to react to the laser and there's certain little cues to let us know like, okay, the body sees or the gums see the laser. They're reacting together. And then we move, we keep sweeping and moving on. Okay. So it's very, very, um, delicate. It's very, very slow. And it's just moving along and it takes patience. Okay. And like I said, it's killing that bacteria as we get move along. It's loosening the tartar as we're moving along or the calculus. Okay. Then after that's done in the area, after that's done in the area, then, um, we come back and we clean the teeth off. Okay. So we clean the tartar off. We use our ultrasonic and our piezo instruments that, you know, spit out water and everything, and we remove all the calculus, all right? Hand instruments if we need to. It's up to the the provider. Then after that part, then we, I call it tickling the bone. (laughs) When I talk to my (laughs) we go through with another instrument, and we kind of rub that roughened instrument, roughen the bone a little bit, and that is supposed to release some of those, um, growth factors to help reproduce the bone. Okay. Then finally we go through with our last laser step, which is the um, clotting phase. And I change the setting and I move the laser along those teeth to clot the blood, causing that like gooey, um, sticky blood that's going to help create like a bandaid. Okay. Um, after that, I adjust the bite. Okay. Because a lot of the problem is is two things going on. It's not just the gum disease. It's also the patient having traumatic clenching and grinding and biting. Okay, so we have to um, take the pressure off of that, off the off the teeth from traumatically biting. Then this patient out, and I'm done because it takes a long time. I'm tired. <laughs> All right. but, Tired, I'm tired, but they're not tired from me ramp, 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 and cutting and sewing. Right. They're tired from just being so relaxed and opening for so long. <laughs> okay. I, I have, I have a question. I, I, a hint. I just have a hint of uh, uh, um, bias in, in that statement, but it's okay. <laughs> so, 
you mentioned that um during this Lanap procedure, you're going to be using the the ultrasonic. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm just trying to I'm thinking about like what adjustments uh can be made for the Lanap procedure to reduce the aerosols. Uh, you know, during this current time with with COVID. That's right. Well, remember one important thing I said is when I do the procedure with the laser, it loosens up the, that tartar. Okay. And it makes it much easier to remove and more efficiently able to be removed. And due to everything that's going on with COVID, I will probably not use my ultrasonic. I'll probably just hand scale, mm-hmm. but the tartar won't be, or the calculus won't be as tenacious now. Okay. It'll be easier to remove because the laser essentially kind of blasts it. It blasted away. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what else was I going to say? So that will help with the removal of the calculus and the time that it's going to take. So I, I want to go back to my original question. I, I'm, you know, patient Billy Bob that was told that I got gum disease. Uh, I've heard all the benefits of laser. It kills the bacteria. It you don't have to cut my fillet my gums open. Nope. So I I see two different periodontists mm-hmm. on yes. on Google. Why, uh, Doctor Aka? Why why would I want to come to see uh, to have it done the traditional way? Other than I I. I Give me a, all I heard before was science. Right, I, yeah. I'm not a science guy. Just give me the, you know, the, the, the layman's terms, why, why it's better, uh, to cut me open. Well, so one thing that I always go back to and I've always gone back to is if it's not broken, don't fix it, right? Um, yes, lasers are nice, shiny, and they're fun to deal with, right? But you also have to understand that osteosurgery has been around for 50, 60, 70 years. Hey, hey okay. let's stop, let's stop blame Obama. Let's no. <laughs> talk about how. You know. <laughs> let's yeah. actually answer and, the question this time. <laughs> right? It's been around for 60, 70. I mean, we've done tons of research. It's been proven that it reduces and gets to the bottom line, right? Um, one thing that you have to understand is we switched into the whole aesthetic. Right? So I, I completely understand and I, I do appreciate what Dr. Morris is saying, which is, yes, you get less recession. I completely agree with you on that, right? But one thing that you have to understand is whenever you heal, even with the laser, you still have recession, right? So recession is going to happen. It's not 100% foolproof that you're not going to have recession. Anytime you heal, you, your, your, your soft tissue contracts. So the difference really is just a millimeter or two, right? Oh, but you yeah. have a... No, okay. Okay, it's well, I, listen... Uh, healing always causes recession. I mean, that's that's a given. That's we're not going to get into science, but it's the truth. Tell to me what the, degree? Like, well, that's what I said—a no. millimeter or two. Let's right? let them, no, okay. no. If you have if you have a patient come in and they have a eight millimeter pocket, right, right. and you bone sound mm-hmm. when you go in for your initial incision, you're going to remove a lot more than one or two millimeters here or there. But are we doing regeneration? Tissue. Or are we doing just old school uh, osseous, which you've gotten away from? Are we going to try to regenerate? Are we going to just maybe take yeah, a millimeter or two? modified technique, but you're going to have to remove. When you come in with your initial inverse bevel incision, yeah. you're going to have to remove about three to four millimeters of tissue in order to get that pocket. Right. And, and we know and, that whenever... And when I use a nap on eight millimeter pockets, I don't remove... Yes, I may get... That's when I get a millimeter of two of recession. Okay. But when you have deep pockets like that, there's no way. Which brings me to the front, the anterior area. Right. I have a patient, right. they have an eight, an eight or nine millimeter pocket in the in the front, in the front tooth. Right. We know that if we remove that tooth with that type of defect, it's not going to be easy to place an implant there, right? So what do we do with osseous? You can't do osseous. I think what's dangerous. Like have a finger tooth. I think what's dangerous is um, your assumption that lasers are 100 percent foolproof and lasers going to get you exactly what you know you think is going to happen, which is now this is a miracle thing. And that's the part that I'm That's not what you said. No, 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 but what I'm saying is. Run the tape. Run the tape. Yeah, that's not what you said. No, no, but what I'm saying is, no matter what, 
said that's what I said. No, no. What I'm saying is, no matter what, you're gonna have uh, something that's been proven to work for a long time, right? It, it's gonna get you the results that you want. You're gonna have that re- reduction in the pocket. You're gonna definitely do a lot better than a laser that was created in 1990 by Lenap, a gentleman who, again, the research is not there. 1990, I mean, you barely started drinking. Yeah, you barely you were able to. You were just able to. As well. Yeah, but again, 70 years versus well, 1990. Can we go back to answering the question? Hilarious. <laughs> what is the, the question is, why would you come to me? Because there's proven facts for a longer period of time. I would go to a person that one doesn't just say, oh, okay, well, I have this laser that uh, I just bought $100,000, so I'm actually obligated to use that laser to pay off that laser, right? Versus, a t- I'm just telling you what I'm telling you my opinion. <laughs> this is not what you're saying. This is my opinion. And my opinion is, I would rather go to a procedure that's been proven. Am I like Oprah? You get a laser. You get the laser. <laughs> Maybe. Get we don't, laser. I, I'm not saying about you, I'm saying in general. You know, financials have a lot to do with this stuff. Tell me if I'm wrong. If, wrong. I, if I spend $100,000, I need to use that thing, correct? Well, if you spend $100,000 on something, you, you bought it to use it. Exactly. Right. But you're also obligated to use it because let's just say you use it once a month. Are you really going to be able to pay that back off? Return on investment. If you're doing a lot of crown lengthening. Listen, my, my practice, the income... At my practice, double when I incorporated laser. I was only. Let's talk about. I that. was Why? only. I was only getting uh, approval on about twenty five percent of my cases that I presented for Osseous. Okay. Once, once I told them, patients would look at me with a blank stare, like, "Yeah, no," or. And I was saying, like, and I'm going to lay the gums back, and we're going to clean and put a dissolvable stitch at the end. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> And now that I, you know, give the laser option, okay, because I talk to them about both both types of procedures. Okay. And when I give them the laser option, they're like, you know what? And I show them the video and, you know, they're like, yes. Okay, so let's. Yeah, that, uh, I, I kind of wanted to go with that, too. But so you're showing I, them the video. You have more things to kind of sell the case versus just talking about it. <laughs> But let's talk money. No, I'm serious. I, I'm the patient sitting in your chair. Yes. I'm given two options. Yes. I have traditional osseous. I have Lenap laser treatment. Right. Am I going to pay the same for both? In my office, yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Huh. Yes. So there's no difference financially, right? Okay. The only The only thing, like, and, and listen, I'll be the first one to say, and I've done this, I've sent patients to Dr. Morris for uh, LENAP treatment. But it's most of the time, it's for imp- implants that are failing. You see? And I think that's the only time we, we differ. I don't know. I'm, I'm old school, and I'll be the first one to admit to that. If something's not broken, I don't try to fix it. Right? The laser is nice, but again, OCS has been proven for so long, and in my hands, and I'm going to speak for myself, in my hands, it works very, very well. I have great response to those patients, and I'm not saying that in her hands, it does not or whatever. I can just speak for myself, right? And on top of that, the whole, you know, um, oh, well, you uh, bleed less and all this other stuff. I just think that's a selling point to basically say, use a laser versus just go back to traditional uh, osseous surgery. That's it. Well, sometimes you got to put yourself in the seat and you right. have to be a little bit more empathetic for your patient. Right. And 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 sit back and, and switch places and see. Oh, yeah, you don't bleed much more, but, you know, oh, you bleed less, but, you know, who cares about that? They care about that. The patient cares about the bleeding part. The patient cares about being cut. The patient cares about the results. And if there's two ways to get to the same destination, I'll rather fly than hike. Okay, right? here's a question. The, what's, so, the, what's the result? What's, the, what's actually the end result for osteosurgery um, versus Lynette? Give, give me that, the I, end result. Okay, so I've had some cases that I've had anterior teeth that had 10 millimeter pockets, and those pockets have reduced to 4 millimeters. So pocket reduction. Big time. Right, so the I've had patients the, the, that had 12 millimeter pockets that have redu- reduced to 5 and 4 millimeter pockets. Right. And a 5 isn't perfect, but guess what? We can maintain a 5. 
they can if they come you know what that office would have told them down the street or you would have told that patient Mm. let's get that out of there uh maxillary molar okay um so it has definitely given me the opportunity to save a lot of teeth that I wouldn't have been able to save. And that is another difference as well. Okay. We're talking about the anterior teeth where osseous is not an option. And we're also talking about those, those molar teeth or those premolar teeth that have 13 millimeter pockets that otherwise we would remove that I've been able to obtain results in my own hand using my, you know, using the protocol within my office. I've been able to reduce those pockets to four millimeters and three millimeters at times. You you said you said uh, osseous is not an option in the anterior. If we're trying to reduce pockets, and we reduce the pockets by doing osseous regeneration in the anterior, why is it not an option? Because it's an aesthetic failure. Okay, so so aesthetics is based on individual preference, right? I've had I've seen who doctors, wants piano teeth. Who raise your hand? Okay, okay, okay. So now you're basically putting yourself in the Anybody's patient's saying, driving, Don't raise your hand. No, no. But I'm sure raise your eyebrows. No, but aesthetics. Piano teeth. Aesthetics is <laughs> not based on is not based on what your preference is, right? There are patients that come into dentists and want white. I'm talking about like toilet seat Blue white. white. Toilet seat white teeth. W C. Right? What'd you what'd you say, Doctor Dennis? It's it's W C. W C. Okay. <laughs> right? Uh they that that might not you know, five for you, but maybe you don't want that, but that's their aesthetic preference. So now you're basically making aesthetic preference for patients. Now you're basically saying, I'm going to choose your aesthetic preference. What if the patient just wants to keep their teeth? And yeah, my no, that's surgery. That's a talk that we have. That's a talk because even when we have, when even when I have patients that have 10 millimeter pockets in the anterior, um, I had a patient who was uh, 22 years old at the time, uh, 10 millimeter pockets with mobility from tooth number five all the way around to like 13. Mm-hmm. Um, she was had uh, perio and was in ortho at, at, a, at a corporate office and they were not monitoring her perio. And so we're talking with mobility. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew that once I did eat, no matter what I did, she was going to have recession um, or the gums were going to shrink quite a bit. OK, well, we, would you flap that patient who's 23 years old? Well, OK, start off with, you, you, you put a lot of factors into there, ortho, right? So that was the first thing. So basically, the orthodontist caused the um, mobility and possibly recession and pair and basically made the uh, made the um, periodontal disease worse, right? Mm-hmm. So you put a lot of factors into there without me even seeing a patient. You want me make you want me to make a decision on treatment that doesn't make well, any we're sense. We're saying we're saying this right? is a twenty three year old. Okay, hypothetical. And it's, it's when hypo- I it's hypothetical, but it's, it, there's a lot more other factors that go into it and just give me three or four different parts. Well, right? Look, couldn't you agree that? Five out of ten patients don't want piano teeth. Yes, I can. And other five wouldn't mind. Abs- I can absolutely agree with that. I can absolutely. <laughs> okay, let's move right, on. right. <laughs> and then that's 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 what I'm getting at. That's really what I'm getting at. Is in the end, you have to present the case to a patient, and you have to allow them to make the decision. I think what I where people get a little bit extra is they they, they have a preference towards one direction or another right and i think your preference as a as a provider your preference is geared towards what did i actually do to get that like for me a a 15 blade suture and stuff might even cost me a dollar two dollars at most right so i'm not geared towards well i have to use this blade right i can say yeah you know what in this situation after i've talked to you if you don't want to do it cool i have somebody else that does laser maybe you can try with that but if you have a laser in your office that costs you a hundred thousand dollars, that is that going has nothing to nothing to do. It does. It's fundamentals. You're running a business. You cannot sit here and to tell do. me. Then you're that saying you spend... now you're talking about my ethics. No one is talking about your ethics. I'm this saying rather than presenting the best treatment options to my patients. I'm saying that it, I'm saying that and I'm a little skewed. bit offended. You shouldn't be because I'm saying that you're skewed. Your well, whole look, thing here's is a, here's skewed, the thing. Walter, right? Walter. No, 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 no. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. With 
if any any dentist when you're when you're delivering treatment options you're always going to lean toward one that you do better than one you don't do as well that's that's every that's, that's every everybody. dentist yes that's everybody you know right. so you know every everyone's going to uh you know give all the treatment options but the one that you do the best is the one you're probably going to recommend the most. So I guess uh, to, to summarize, uh, the laser is relatively new within, I mean, compared to dentistry from the beginning, lasers are relatively new. Right. Uh, so there's not quite as much research behind the laser as far just longevity wise, because it's been around for 15, 20 years where osteosurgery has been around for, I don't know, 50, 70 years or something. So it's had a, a longer period of time to have research to, to support it. You might get, you probably get the same result. I, I'm not going to get dive into that uh, argument again. But that's what I'm hearing right now is there's more research behind the traditional way just because it's been around longer. So that's it. Moving forward, uh, you mentioned, uh, Dr. Aka mentioned, uh, referring patients to you for treating gum disease around implants. So does, is that, uh, is, is there better research for treating gum disease around an implant than there is, uh, traditional os or, uh, bone surgery? Yeah. So right now, and I do have to follow up and see, um, what the latest and greatest is, but from what I, what I know, we still don't have an exact protocol to treat peri-implantitis. And so, um, everybody's kind of, you know, you have some providers that are doing, you know, flap and laser and, and surface treatment and smoothing out the surface of the implant. Um, you have some that are, you know, doing all different types of, of procedures yet. Uh, we haven't came up with that one, you know, our golden protocol yet. Okay. Um, we have different types of laser. Okay. So the, the periolase that I use for the Lanap is a, um, Indiag. Okay. Um, Biolase makes a laser that is, uh, I think it's, uh, ER. Yeah. Something like that. Um, some people are speaking on using the BioLase laser, you know, and not using the other laser. So we are all still trying to figure out, or the experts are, are, our leaders in our perio world are trying to still come up with that, that protocol, you know. So when it comes to lasers, then it's like, okay, well, we'll try that. At least we know we are killing the bacteria and hopefully penetrating the little micro, um, little crevices within the implant without, you know, causing a lot of collateral damage by, you know, reflecting a flap and everything. I'm going okay, to say, so, can I say something? I, yeah. uh, this is going to make everybody, I, I feel, I feel like I feel good about this part because I completely <laughs> agree with Dr. Morris. I do. I a hundred percent agree with Dr. Morris. She's exactly on point when she says this, we don't know uh, a good treatment for peri-implantitis. Uh, in the anterior, I would actually refer patients to somebody who has a laser to treat them because of the fact that if I do any surgery in the front area, it's going to lead to more issues and longer, um, uh, what's it called? Exposure of the, uh, the implant, which is something that you just don't want to deal with. I would rather have exposure of a tooth surface than an implant surface. So I completely 100% agree. Go ahead. Oh. Uh <laughs> Wow. Yes. Let's just start there. <laughs> you see, I, I, I completely wow. agree. Now, as a, as a general dentist, I've had, uh, I have somebody that's trying to sell me a laser right now, Fotona laser. And the way it's presented to me is it is a kind of a, a miracle tool that I can do anything with. I can treat perio. I can, you know, I, uh, I can do biopsies. I can use it with endodontics. So since we have an endodontist on here, I wanted to get his opinion on, uh, you mentioned lasers kill microbes, uh, and that's really what we're fighting when we're doing 
uh, have an abscessed tooth, we're, we're doing root canals, we're trying to kill as many microbes as we can and seal everything up. So what is the benefit, if anything, in adding a laser to endodontic treatment? I mean, it's, it's, uh, when you add anything to any treatment, the hope is always that there's a benefit. But is it necessary? Not really. So there's a lot of, uh, especially with endodontics, there's a lot of new gadgets that come out and like every year, uh, as far as, um, decontamination of the, uh, canal space. But the, the thing about this is kind of going back to what Dr. Aga said. Um, you know, what did they do before all of this fancy stuff was around and they were doing root canals? They just, they did a root canal and the root canals worked. So, I mean, having uh, the, the technology is, should be more, in my opinion, should be more on efficiency as opposed to getting the canal cleaner because you're really not getting it much cleaner. It, you know, if you did a, a case study on, let's, let's just break it down to something really simple as calcium hydroxide and, or just using irrigate, right? For when you're treating a tooth. If you do a two step method, and uh, place calcium hydroxide in the tooth, leave it in there for about a week, you're going to get the canals about 91% bacteria-free, right? But that took an entire week. Now, if you use, in one appointment, if you use sodium hypochlorite, a higher percentage, at least like 5.25 or 6%, 17% EDTA, 2% chlorhexidine, you're going to get the canals 89% bacteria-free. So we're talking about 2% difference. Now, statistically, if you did a case study of like 10,000 teeth, then yeah, that would be statistically significant. But clinically, it is completely insignificant. So, you know, adding these all these extra things, it should be more about efficiency. So if it's going to make you uh, get the treatment done faster and you're still going to have a good success rate, then sure, use it. But if you're just spending money and it's not making you faster, especially if it's if it's making it longer, that's not efficient. Uh, then it's then it's really not worth the uh, you know, the cost. Can I piggyback off of that real quick? Um, mm-hmm. What Doctor Dennis has ex- said is completely right, and I think uh, Doctor Morris will agree. Right, the faster you do any kind of surgery, the less post-operative issues you have. Yeah. Yes. Right. And so I think yeah. we can all agree that no matter what, uh, whatever technology comes up, and I'm not against technology. I, 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 I replayed what we had, and it sounds like I'm a hater for technology, and that's not the case. <laughs> I love to get you brought up studies from 1910. <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. But you see that. They but, but, but the good thing about me bringing up studies from 1910. It's been it's been replicated. That's a that's a difference, right? But anyway, so so again, I I love I love technology. You know, what I mean, I, I enjoy technology. I just think that any salesman would never disagree and say that their product is not the best and the newest and the brightest and the, the shiniest, right? And I think us dentists we fall into that category of oh, it's new and it's shiny, so therefore I must have it. And and like Dr. Dennis said, if it's not going to make you better, if it's not going to make you faster. Then it's more of just a, oh, I have it. And now let me just go ahead and uh, advertise and say that my product or my procedure is better than the next. And I just say that's when we need to be careful. So again, I don't hate technology. I love technology, but we also have to be honest with ourselves and say, why are we buying this? Is it because somebody told me to buy it or is it because I've done enough research to know that this is the next greatest thing? Right. I would also say though, go ahead. If you, uh, to go back to, to answer Dr. Dumper's question, if you were to buy the laser mm-hmm. and it was there in the office and you're using it for other things and you can use it for endodontics, it's already there. You might as well use it, use it, use it if it's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially if you feel like in your hands and in your mind that adding this one thing to the procedure, you're going to get a better success rate. Whether it's true or not, but if you feel that way, then you should do it. Well, I'm, I want to piggyback on what Walt, I think the point he was trying to make earlier. If I'm a general dentist and this 
might only apply to me or to general dentists, but if I buy a $100,000 laser, I need to pay for that laser. So I'm going to be increasing the number of procedures or I'm going to be charging more for the procedures I'm already doing because why would I spend $100,000 if I'm doing a procedure that's already working for me uh, other than I can do it faster, but I'd have to do it a lot faster to be able to pay for that $100,000. I'm not doing perio surgery all the time. I'm not doing implant peri-implantitis. I'm not doing root canals all the time. So to make up that speed factor, I have to throw on a laser fee or charge more for that. So it's going to be more expensive to the patient. And I, I think that's what Walt, Dr. Aka was trying to get at was uh, it's going to cost more for potentially cost more, at least in some offices to do a treatment where the equipment is going to cost $100,000 versus a dollar scalpel. Right. And and I will say, I know, I've know i known Dr. Morris for a very long time. I am not going after her ethics or anything at all. I, I, I know that's not even a joke. I mean that. Like, I am not going after her ethics at all. Other people's ethics, yes, but not hers. I know her <laughs> personally. <laughs> We've been friends for a very long time. I will, I will never go after her ethics because I know her personally and I would actually let her work on me. So that's not an issue at all. But... Dr. Dumpert makes a great point, right? And and I think Dr. Morris would agree that if you have something, you have to use it and pay for it. You see well, that I mean? well, I do want to say one thing. Um, when it comes to um, a general office, and before you, if you are a general office and you do have uh, a high, you know, ratio of older patients who've been in the practice for years, and you take a, you know, you can take a cross section of your patients. Well, number one, you have to make sure that your perio program is catching those cases that aren't slipping through the cracks. Very true. Okay. Very true. Um, Very true. And it's not like you're going to start. Yes, you, when you leave your LANAP um, training, you are pumped. It's like being recharged. It's kind of like going through residency all over again as a periodontist in a matter of three days. Um, you're excited and you're like, wow, let me find those cases again. Okay. And you do, you look, you do proper probing, you look at x-rays. And if you do a cross section of your practice where it is right now, and you aren't and like less than, you know, 40, 40 to 50% of your patients have been diagnosed with periodontal disease, there may be some patients slipping through the cracks at the practice. And so making sure that your protocol and your hygiene program is making sure we're finding all of those cases and they're being properly diagnosed. Um, and then if treatment with laser is necessary, those patients are presented with that option. Um, as periodontists, we're kind of used to, I know I'm used to sitting down for two and a half hours with a patient and doing a procedure. That's not really the flow of a GP office. So before adopting um, laser into a general practice, know that you're going to be in there. This isn't the day that you're going to be, you know, crown prep here, next room, you know, bouncing room to room, you know, being highly productive by moving around. You are going to be in that. And so the GPs that I have talked to, that is one of their things about it. Like, oh, it takes so long and, uh, you know, and I'm like, oh, I like it. You know, it's fine. I can, <laughs> you know, so it's just some of the things to think about. Also, um, you mentioned another laser. I, I, I missed the name of it. The uh, Periolase 7 or the Lanat procedure is the only um, uh, procedure or laser that's been FDA approved to regenerate the bone. That's right. Okay, that's right. so others try to, you know, manipulate or try to, you know, say they can do the same thing. Well, they haven't. They don't have the paperwork to back it up for that with that FDA approval. And before you get FDA approval, what do you have to have? You have research. to have research, right. Right? right? Okay, so it has to be backed by research, which it is. Let me. <laughs> well, well, we were talking about these gadgets and everything. Yeah. Um. Uh, so that's 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 a. I was gonna say, what about a CBCT? Yes. Its uses. Who 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 has it? Who should have it? Who's overusing it? <laughs> well, let's not go into overusing because uh, I'm gonna start another <laughs> argument. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah you know cbct because uh, i know dr morris you have a cbct uh in your office as well and i love CBCT. without it i'm not i'm not gonna ever deny that and i love cbct can you can you tell us like when you use it 
how you use it in your practice. Oh, man. If I could attach it to my arm, I would, man. Okay. Every single implant consult has a cone beam completed, has a a 3D x-ray completed. Um, That way I can prepare them mentally and financially with what's going to be involved with having their implant placed. I also do all of my surgeries guided, cone beam guided. So I use that same cone beam. I send it to a laboratory. I place their implant, um, what's they call it, virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know the angulation of the implant. I know what size implant's going to be needed. I know uh, how the crown is going to look, where the access point going to need to be for the crown, um, for the, you know, prosthetic reasons. And it's a slam dunk. Okay, so I I use that time on the front end. So when it comes where the patient is living their life, so when they get into my office, we're working about probably 20 minutes to place an implant. Um, And some of those times I can do it without, again, the daunting flap. I can do it flapless and go back and, if necessary, take another cone beam to make sure that my placement is ideal. Um, and so that is a, a huge way. And, um, again, my implant numbers went up once I had the cone beam. I think like, just like, you know, bears and dogs, patients can sense when we are unsure and, um, or, or scared or I don't know. Um, but I felt more confident in presenting my treatment plan to them. I felt more confident in the results that we should be able to achieve and that in turn takes acceptance so that's it when it comes to you said that you do um, your CBCT do it guided right Mm-hmm. You do it guided and you, you prep and, and, and prepare all that. What do you do for patients that come into your office and the tooth has been broken down and they want an implant that same day? Like, how does that work out? How how does that protocol work for you? Um, If they come in same day and they want, you know. The tooth taken out and the implant. Yeah. If, if they're in pain or anything like that, you know. It's case by case. Right. You know, I don't, I, I, since I don't practice in the corporate arena anymore, um, I don't really do that type of treatment where it's like remove the two same day implant, okay. um, without planning and everything like that. I don't typically do that anymore. Can you let us know like the pros and cons of either or like doing it the same day versus the, the, the negative aspects of uh, doing it the same day? Um, predictability, you know, I feel like, you know, once we place the implant, that's it. And the doctor is going to have to move around where the implant is placed and whoever's restoring the tooth. Um, so in order, sometimes we're trying to do everything like immediate, immediate, immediate. We're not thinking the case through, you know, to the, to the end point. We're just seeing that, that one tooth needs an implant. Right now, meanwhile, they have periodontal disease everywhere. Or, you know, I feel like I'm a little tunnel vision when I do it that way. But that's 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 just me. That's just me. I just, you know, I'm not as cowboyish as I thought. <laughs> you know, um, so I just think predictability and... Um, that goes along with, you know, if I place an uh, implant that's guided mm-hmm. and I plan where that, you know, the access point is going to be for the general dentist, it's so easy for them and less expensive for right. them as well because they don't need a custom abutment anymore. Right. So. Now, I, again, I'm, I'm the patient. I'm, I have the option of going to see my general dentist who has a uh, panoramic x-ray. Uh, he, he has a two, two dimensional x-ray. He does not have a, uh, 3D x-ray. Um, it's a pretty straightforward, looks like there's tons of bone is, is the cone beam kind of the, the standard of care when it comes to placing an implant or is it just, uh, you know, maybe an extra expense in me having to pay for a 3D x-ray or is that something that I get for free? When, when I get an implant with it. 
Uh, every office is different. Um, my protocol is everyone gets a cone beam. So when I first bought it, the salesmen were like, oh, yeah, you can market the other dentists and you can make money off of it. And me, in my practice, to me, I strictly use it as a diagnostic tool. And there's a lot of times, and I'm sure Dr. Aka has experience where patients have, you know, this thick bone. And when we look at it, it looks fine. And when you take your x-ray, your two-dimensional x-ray, it's fine. But then there's really a depression. And we don't know that there's a depression. Or sometimes there's a marrow space, you know, where it's kind of like an empty cave. Right. Um, right. And patient has dense bone, you know, cortical bone, you know, but on the inside, their bone is soft and mushy and we didn't know that that was it was like that so um i think the more prepared we can be the better and if there's a depression especially those patients who are missing their lateral incisors or you know they never they're congenitally missing teeth the bone looks great on the outside but once we look at 3d there's a lot of depressions that go on and there can be complications with implants down the line Okay. So, so, so do you think the cone beam is the standard of care, even if it's for a straightforward case? I, I understand that if it's questionable at all, but is it a standard of care to you should have this or you need to have a, a cone beam before you have an implant placed? Hold on. It is not the standard of care. Well, That's what I'm asking. Yeah, it's not. It's not. But it's not the standard of care. <laughs> but I will tell you, if you have any litigation, the more ammo you have, the better, right? If you, you can say, hey, look on the CBCT, I didn't see any issues at all. Now you're basically saying you've covered yourself on many avenues. But also, you are required to diagnose everything on that CBCT. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's a, that goes for every x-ray, though. So that could also work at your disadvantage. There, there's a lot more information on that 3D x-ray than there is on that 2D x-ray. So well, you want to make sure you're not zapping the brain. I mean, you know, you want to make that sure that your field of view is within your scope diagnostic capabilities. Yeah. And some it's some doctors um it's not standard of care, what's that other word? Protocol for them to have every cone beam read by a radiologist. Mm -hmm. You know, but that varies from practitioner to practitioner. Do, do you think that people lean too much on the um, surgical guided uh, procedures more than they should? Meaning that once they get the, once they do the treatment plan and they kind of guide their surgery and then they go to do the actual implant, do you think that they lean too much on that and say, okay, I'm just going to close my eyes and do this real quick? Or do you think that having surgical um, experience also helps so that, you know, if something were to happen, you know how to get yourself out of it? Yes, because I have seen, you know, when you uh, plan the cases uh, with the company, um, I only use one. I'm going to try one other company, but I use this one company and I don't use one person at the company. Okay. And they'll they'll do whatever you tell them to do right so they'll 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 if the if the bone is really thin they're not going to say oh you know what we really can't get an implant here but what they'll say is like oh well, we can get you know look like we can put a tiny implant here okay a very narrow implant and it may be in an area that requires a larger diameter implant so they're not going to give you any type of clinical judgment advice you say you want an implant here. We're going to place an implant here. Do you approve it? Yes. You check off and you sign off on that. So at the end of the day, you still need to know what to place where and what is necessary. And so I still have seen failures from uh, practitioners that did the whole surgery guided, but put a very narrow implant in a posterior area. So you still need that clinical guidance. How well does that surgical guide fit? Is it 100% accurate as far as cases that you've ordered that surgical guide? Does it fit into that patient every single time? Well, of course, nothing's ever 100%, okay? Um, but accuracy-wise, yes. You know, you want your guide to have uh, windows within the guide so you can make sure that it's completely seated. You want the lab that I use rejects my my impressions all the time. 
they reject ah nope do it again ah nope do it again because everything has to merge perfectly and if it doesn't merge properly then because it causes and any time that i'm like uh just go ahead and do it i end up having complications with the fit of the guy okay also that's where that surgical experience comes because at the end of the day no we cannot rely on a guy sometimes we have to put that guy aside and lay it flat and see what's really going on so you know we need to know how to get out of those situations i've had there's been times where i had to place the implant you know manually uh and i can use the guy you know so if i was relying on that guy 100 percent, i wouldn't have been able to get out of that situation that, that's kind of what i was getting at is um Basically, what you just described is I'm a patient. I come in and, you know, I, I had the scans done. Dennis tells me I'm going to have, you know, a guide that I put in. It's going to be real easy. I get there. I'm numbed up. The guide goes to be put in and it doesn't fit. So do you send me home at that point and rescan me and order a new guide? Or do you proceed uh, by flapping it open and putting the implant in anyway? Yeah, flap it. You can try to use it as much as you can. There's, you know, it depends on your, your experience with the guide. If it isn't working, isn't seating, why? Why isn't it seating? Is it because there's a tooth that is, you know, you need to do some reduction in the guide in order for it to sit, seat all the way down? Um, and having that kind of, um, just on the spot thinking to try to get your guide to fit the most accurately. So, so Dennis jumping or that are thinking about jumping into, placing implants by saying, okay, I got the intraoral scanner. I got the, the cone beam. Implants are just going to be a slam dunk now because I can scan everybody. I can order a guide and I basically drill a hole and put a, put a screw in it. So I should be good. And then uh, they find out, well, the, the guide doesn't fit. I'm, I'm going to run into a problem. So uh, I think that's an important thing to say is you still need to have that surgical experience behind you before you know, relying solely on technology to provide treatment to somebody. Uh, yeah, 100%. 100%. And so that's when, you know, every, you know, GP that is placing dental implants, they should have that surgeon that they can call and get some guidance. Um, we're not, we're not saying that you have to send everything out, you know, especially how our, our profession is right now. But just have your your team of people that you can call and, you know, say, hey, you know, in the beginning of the case. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, let's end it here because we've gone over an hour uh, of this. Um, but I, I think... talk about talk about this ish forever. <laughs> I, I, I know. I know. Why I was really talking about. <laughs> I, I just don't know if our listeners can listen to it forever. <laughs> that's, that's, you know they have a very short attention span. If I be honest. I need to fight more. You well, yeah. fight again. You, you know, and it's all love, honestly. I, 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 you know, Doctor Morris and I—we've been friends for very long. It is all love, honestly. Uh, but I think that this is gonna this is gonna be very interesting. I'm gonna have to hear it from my wife and other people. Like, why you fight with your own guest? And I, I know I'm gonna have to. Hear it. I'm, gonna, uh, I'm gonna hear it. I know I am. Uh, but it's all good. Uh, I think we should have a. I think we should have a round two. When it comes to technology and how people, how dentists are using it, I think that's actually a really good topic to have because I do believe that there are a lot of other stuff that are out there. Some I agree with and some I don't at all. Uh, and so I think we need to go into that and, and talk about it with different, uh, especially and, and even general dentists and kind of say, okay, why are we using this? And is it necessary? And like Dr. Dennis said, is it going to make it faster? Is it going to be cheaper or whatever it may be? You know what I mean? Dr. Dennis, I don't want to misquote you. You know, <laughs> you said it so eloquently earlier. So, uh, but I do, I do believe that, uh, this, this discussion needs to continue. I really do. I think that, uh, technology is where we're going. I mean, the future is there and it's just a matter of how are we going to do it? And, and, and if we're going to bring our patients along, how are we going to do where our patients don't suffer in the end? Right. That's really what we, we can mm-hmm. do. So exactly. Yeah. So we'll, I'll leave it here. Um, no more arguing from me. I'll, I'll end it on that term. <laughs> uh, Dr. Morris, I want to have you back on again so we can continue more discussions on stuff like this and then we'll just go from there. If that's okay with everybody. Yes. And you guys follow me on Instagram. I do. Yes, can you give us the information? Um, just for our listeners, my Instagram is Dr. Dr. Period 
Tam, T is in Tiger, A, M is in Mary, period, D, D, S, D is in Dog, D is in Dog, S is in Sam. And on there, you will also see some beautiful before and afters, radiographic, before and after Lanap therapy. Okay. She's a Lanapper, yes. So so anybody that loves just being a Lanapper can follow her. I think they should. Uh, she does back everything up with radiographs. Some people don't. You know, that's another story that we can talk about that later on. Uh, <laughs> at least she's backing so it up. Fun. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Morris, for coming on, and we definitely appreciate you. Thank yes, you, thank guys. You. Yeah, Good thanks. luck, and stay healthy, okay? Yes. You too. You right. too. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to Tooth Be Told. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at realdentist with an S at gmail.com. That's realdentist, R E A L, dentist with an S at gmail.com. Remember, the opinions on this podcast are just that our professional opinions. The final decision about your health should be made by you and a trusted dental professional.